frequently asked questions. We're answering the biggest questions that we hear from you and from, from out the world outside our doors. Uh, all kinds of things about God, religion, Christianity, uh, the world. Uh, and we, we hear lots of interesting questions. Now today, I want to give you a quick disclaimer. Um, today we're going to be discussing some kind of PG-13 material, right? Okay, it might be kind of sexually uh, sensitive. Okay, can we say that? So I just want to give a shout out to all the parents. Uh, if you are, are hearing, it's, it's your prerogative, you're the parent. Um, but if you would rather your younger children not ask you those uh, awkward questions on the ride home, this might be a great day for you to go ahead and take them back to Kids World today. Uh, we're going to be talking about everything. Uh, very Yeah, Preston. Um, we're going to talk about everything very tastefully and respectfully, uh, but still some subject matter that you might just want, I want to make you aware of. Uh, hallelujah. Because and Kids World's incredible, and back there, kids are having an incredible time with totally age-appropriate material. Hallelujah. 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 Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. All right. Today, we're going to be discussing several different questions that we've received, all related to the topic of homosexuality and the Bible and the church and our position uh, in this big public conversation that is going on here, all right? Everybody just tensed up and nobody's making eye contact. Look at that. That's awesome. Do something for me. Right now, just turn to the person next to you and say, we can get through this. We can do this. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. All right. Hallelujah. See, you're not even worried. That's wonderful. My mouth is dry, but that's okay. <laughs> Pay no attention. It's funny. Few topics have, have the, this uh, potential to, to generate more emotion and heat than this subject, especially in our culture, especially in the church, than when you're talking about homosexuality and the Bible as a Christ follower and as, and as a pastor, um, I am, believe it or not, I am asked this question, some version of these questions, uh, something about this issue more than almost any other. It's remarkable. By people, both by people who generally want to learn about Jesus and by people who just want to pick a fight. Right? And I have encountered, I got to say, bias and bigotry on both sides of the aisle in this. Uh, in Christian circles, uh, there's, there's a very high emotional factor when you get to talking about this, right? Uh, it's kind of off the charts compared with how we respond to a variety of other behaviors or issues in the world, right? If a murderer walks through the doors, we, you know, we might look at him with uh, fascination and pity or concern or something like that. But if a gay person walks through the door, something within a lot of people just goes, right? You just go off the charts. It just tenses up. There's just something physical that happens to a lot of people, especially Christians. Um, and at the same time, at the same time, there is a, a legacy of pain and rejection that has been hoisted, both by Christians and non-Christians, upon members of the same-sex community. Okay? Everyone on both sides seems, when it gets to this issue, seems to be very quick to judge, slow to listen. That's never a recipe for success, is it? So, so more than ever, I think we need to be uh, aware of the, the wise words of James, the brother of Jesus, when he said, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You know what? I like to remind myself and, and my friends when we're talking about this, for the majority of us in this room, being gay wasn't something we had to struggle with. Am I right? So I'm not a hero for winning a battle I never had to fight. Uh, and and for, that matter, for that matter, I have heard from a, a number of gay people who told me how much they fought against uh, against. That, those feelings while growing up. I've never met a straight person who fought and prayed and wrestled against their straightness. I've never heard of, uh, of a straight person who, who just said, man, I, wished I, were, I wish I could be gay. I, I haven't heard of that. But there are a lot of gay people who at one time, at least in their life, 
wished with their entire being they could be straight. So I think our anger and our blame and our judgment for people being gay is often grossly misplaced. See, our, our gay brother and our sister, they, they, just like the rest of us, need massive amounts of love and grace and understanding and all the rest. Amen? So I just want you to know where I'm coming from. This sermon, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk really fast today probably because I got a lot here and I don't want to keep you all afternoon. Um, this sermon is going to be a little different. See, there is a conversation, and it's a good conversation, it's a valid conversation to have about the direction that our country's going, uh, the attack against the church today that, that we're feeling in the government or in culture. Th there is a good conversation here, but today isn't that. I just want you to know that up front. I'm not here today, so you'll shout amen a whole lot and, and get you pumped up for a culture war. I'm not here to that, I, you know, so that the, the four people secretly struggling with same-sex attraction uh, like feel like a gazelle at a lion rally. You know, I'm not here today for that, right? I'm not here to congratulate you on being straight. Let me tell you what my agenda is today. I'm going to be really transparent. I'm going to be really upfront. I prayed a lot about this. Lord, how, how can we talk about this today? How can we have a different kind of conversation today? We're going to be loving but we're not going to be dishonest for the sake of just being nice, okay? Um, I'm here, number one, to offer biblical answers to the one struggling with same-sex attraction. And I'm going I'm to assume, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm hoping that people struggling with that somehow find their way, found their way through the doors today. Uh, I'm going to assume that you're out there. And, and we're going to look at some scripturally-based uh, perspective of what God desires for your life. And number two, I have another agenda. I want to challenge the rest of us to, to be super, my favorite word, Jesus-y. <laughs> we're going to be super Jesus-y to everyone we encounter, right? Christ-like, if you want to be religious. <laughs> to everybody we encounter, including those who are gay, okay? I'm going to speak to you today I'm, I'm going to respect you. I'm going to speak to you today as if you really are a crowd full of disciples who are serious about making disciples. I'm going to speak to you as if you are serious about sharing God's good news to, to a very specific segment of our society uh, that hasn't always felt a lot of love from the, the church. My hope is after today that you and I, we're going to walk out of here a little different. That we may, we may be a radically different picture of a Christian that people in that community have ever experienced, have ever encountered. You may be the one, and you may not think, no, that can't be me. You may be the one that erases years of negative stereotypes about Jesus and Christians. You could be. Here's what I know. I know this. And we've talked about it before. Jesus came for the sick. And Generations Church is a hospital we're on the front lines of a battle we were all born into. Whether you like it or not or know it or not, you were born, you were born into a battle, you were born for that battle. But here's what's important. We, we have to be sure we never mistake our patient for our enemy. So that's where I'm coming from today, just so you know. We're a hospital born for a battle. May we never mistake our patient for our enemy. Amen? Amen. Okay. It's all right. You don't have to get too serious. It's okay. Now, what a lot of people wonder, you know, when they come to a new church or when they come to Generations Church, and I've been asked this by folks, you know, who are visiting, they, they want to know what kind of church Generations is. And oftentimes, you, could, you know exactly what they're asking. Where do you guys stand on stuff? Right? What kind of church are y'all? Typically, most churches fall into one of two categories. You got conservative churches on the right, you got liberal churches over here. And, and conservative churches uh, tend, you know, just to kind of paint with a very broad brush here, conservative churches tend to be really great at giving you the straightforward, plain, literal, Bible-based teaching on this or any other issue, ethical issue. They're serious about what the Bible says, right? That, that's the strengths of a conservative church. Sometimes they can get a little fixated on the war against people mentality. But, you know, just to kind of be self-critical. But for the most part, you know, they're, they're great at teaching you exactly what the Bible says. Liberal churches, uh, are, they tend to be known for placing a very high value on inherent dignity and beauty of all people. 
uh, but when they're not at their best, they sometimes sacrifice an honest reading of Scripture in the name of love and tolerance, okay? Now, as he so often does, we look at Jesus in the Bible, and Jesus, like, shows us this way to bust out of the whole religious paradigm. He's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Jesus shows us how to be a Christ-like church. Are y'all conservative or liberal? I want to be Christ-like. That's what I know. I want to be Christ-like. Jesus, you know, he was always getting cornered by folks who were trying to trap him into questions. You know how he, they did? They tried to trap him with questions. And he was always challenging whoever asked the question toward like a third way. Like they didn't even think about. I want to be a third way church. Right? The Jesus way. A third way church. And so at Generations, we believe there is a way to be honest and truthful not water down things, but be truthful with what Scripture tells us. And at the same time, we can have, it's called truth and grace in the Bible. Speak with truth and grace. So at the same time, on this issue, what if we could shift our posture from one of fighting against people in the gay and lesbian community to one of fighting for the souls of people in the gay and lesbian community? That's really what I care about. I want to fight for their souls. I'm really not interested in a culture war against them. I want to fight for their souls. So we want to be honest. We're going to be uncompromising in, the, in our call to all men and women to, to hear the call of Jesus the, that, and make Jesus their Lord. We also recommend here, gener, uh, recognize that generations, that people come to Christ from a lot of different places, uh, in different ways. They come to Christ, they come through our doors at different stages of spiritual understanding, right? Not everybody walks in the door a super Christian, right? In fact, most of us don't. And, and so we want to create a safe place for all spiritual seekers to come together in authentic, loving community. That's what we want. So in that sense, we, we do want Generations to be an oasis for people struggling with their sin, that they can come in here and find answers, right? We, we, we say it's one of our values that God loves you, we love you, it's okay not to be okay, but God loves you too much to keep you that way, right? And we, we, we don't, it's not okay for you to stay that way. We want, we want to move you towards restoration and, and, and fulfillment. Hallelujah. Um, so, hallelujah. So we want to be a place where people can come uh, struggling with their sin, including homosexuality. Uh, because Jesus came for those who were calling out for grace, not people who already considered themselves righteous. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So that's why we're here, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And along the way, when we're doing that, we're going to discover together from Scripture how Christ would have us live. We're going to discover from Scripture the things that please him. And we're going to discover the things that he considers sin. Amen? We won't back down from that either. So, you ready? We're going to jump right into some questions. These are some of the biggest questions we've received. Number one, I didn't make these questions up, so don't get mad at me. Here we go. Number one, why are Christians so homophobic? Boom. Right? I just got an emotional reaction from a whole bunch of you, right? You just... All you, right? This is a doozy. This is one of the biggest questions, no, no, no kidding, by like a double-digit percentage, uh, asked, I get asked by unchurched people outside the church. And, you know, homosexuality is such a hot topic today, uh, especially, and it's because of two things, I think. One is the rapid shift that has taken place in our culture. Do you guys recognize that? Just a really, it's happened so fast. I mean, it kind of like percolated for decades. And then it like, boom, overnight, it feels like it happened. Uh, the other day, uh, uh, you probably get mad at me, but the other day I'm on Netflix and I'm looking at a couple of like shows from the 90s that we used to watch. You know, you remember shows like Seinfeld and Friends and things like that? And they were so like, you know, daring and, you know, kind of risque at the time or something like that. And I'm watching them and like the jokes they made. It's is the 90s. It's not that, it doesn't feel that far ago. The jokes they made that we thought, oh, they were so daring. Like you wouldn't make them today. They would be like offensive. Like they, we've moved so much far past that. It, it, was a, it was just amazing to me how fast the conversation has shifted. And then what's also contributed to this kind of explosive environment, I have to admit, is the often awkward reaction of the church to this shift. It, it's kind of like it happened around us and we didn't see it coming, right? And sometimes, sometimes the church has been sort of like, what, wait, what, wait. And, and, and so we've reacted sometimes in the wrong way, um, usually with good intentions. But one of the leading charges that you hear people in our society make, especially against the conservative church, is that 
Christians are so homophobic. Uh, not all of them, but many. And you've and you got to say two different things. Not all Christians are homophobic. Not all homophobes are Christians. Many of them are non-Christians. And some of them are non-Christians who come to church every once in a while. But, you know, they call themselves Christian. Um, and so I, I think sometimes we get lumped in, I suspect, with a lot of folks who aren't really Christians. But why has the church come off this way? And I'll simply put, I'll put it this way. People fear and they hate what makes them uncomfortable. That's, that's just a truism. That's something none of us can deny. We, people tend to fear and hate what makes them uncomfortable. But here's where it gets kind of, Religion makes the problem worse by giving hateful people the authority of God at their backs. We touched on this a couple weeks ago. Religion makes the problem worse. It gives hateful people. Now notice, I said hateful people. These are people who are going to be hateful whether they go to church or not. They might be coming every Sunday. They might be coming on Christmas and Easter. Or maybe they don't come to church. But you, you give that hateful person, you, justi- you, you let him justify things with God. Oh, man. He, he has that authority behind him now. He makes the problem worse. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Remember, religion can be deadly. Let's, let's get that, you know, let's admit that. Religion can be deadly. It can be the fuel for all sorts of prejudices and, and hatred and all sorts of things, right? Thankfully, Jesus offers us salvation, not only from our sins and from our bondage, but from dead religion. See, Jesus came to save us from our sins and from religion, Right? We're not just about forming another religion. So an authentic relationship, this is what we firmly believe in, a relationship with Jesus, it should lead to Christians interacting with each other, engaging each other, and with worldly people outside our doors. It should lead to us engaging with an attitude of of love and respect and peace. It should. It doesn't always work out that way, unfortunately. And now we have to acknowledge another reality as well, though, in this this question, that many Christians are mislabeled homophobic simply for holding to a traditional view and interpretation of Scripture, and they get labeled homophobic today. And, and, and this is true. What's ironic is that someone calling someone homophobic just for holding a different view than what is currently popular is really just another type of judgmental fear. We might call it churchophobia, right? It's just it's more judgmental fear. Uh, so I, I fully recognize that there, there, there are some people, no matter how much love I try to show to them, the fact that I'm coming at this from a scriptural point of view is automatically in their eyes going to label me something. It's going to label me homophobic or something like that. So, so that is what we, we see out there. The truth is we all have our issues. Amen? Which is why we believe so passionately, we believe it with all our heart, that we all need to hear Christ's invitation to his radical way of living in peace and love. We all need this so badly. Amen? Okay, let's move on to our second question. This is, this is a big one. Is being gay a sin? Is being gay a sin? I get to ask this uh, all the time. Is, now, if, if by this question you're saying, you're asking, is being a person who is attracted uh, to the opposite sex a sin? I would say no. Temptation, what we see in Scripture, temptation is never the same thing as sin, right? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was tempted for 40 days in the desert by the devil, and he never once sinned, not once. But it says he was tempted, Right? So the Bible, it's important to know, it never condemns homosexual orientation. Orientation. Uh, knowing your orientation is simply knowing the temptation that you're bent towards. Right? And we all, we all have a temptation. Whether it's dudes or girls or breakfast tacos, <laughs> exhibit A, right? Chicken fried steak. Um, we all have this. We all have our weakness. Um, it's what you do with, it's what you, when it comes to your practice, what do you do with that orientation, that temptation that leads to either sin or righteousness? The Bible's very clear here. It's abundantly clear. In fact, it's really interesting. Modern records or modern research have, have told us that this is interesting to study out that, 
that the concept of sexual orientation, this idea of saying, well, I'm gay, well, I am straight, that this concept wasn't even on the radar 2,000 years ago, right? That, that things back then were kind of much more, I guess, fluid. And, and so not that people weren't engaging in the behavior, yes, but they, they, there wasn't this self-identifying of, well, I'm a gay person, well, I'm a straight person. There wasn't this. So many people engaged in what we would, we, we would think of as a bisexual lifestyle. Um, but the average person didn't self-identify as gay or straight. So the Bible never condemns homosexual orientation. What it speaks out against is homosexual practice. And that means if you're here today and you feel that, you feel that struggle, and you have felt that struggle inside of you that, of same-sex attraction, that does not disqualify you at all from being my brother in Jesus Christ Amen. or my sister in Jesus Christ, right? Amen? Or, or for us to be fellow disciples in the Lord. If, if you're committed to following Jesus and you are committed to surrendering your will to Jesus, that's an important thing. I commit to walking with you on your journey with Christ. I can commit to that. I can commit to embracing you as a brother, right? I'm not going to hug for too long, but an appropriate amount of time, and then we'll step away, right? Sorry. But you are not a second-class Christian. You're not a second-class Christian because you, you feel this orientation, Okay? Um, you, now let's say, you have been given a challenge to, to live by a higher calling. Jesus calls you. He says, you know what, I'm going to empower you to rise above that. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk some more about this in a minute. But see, we are not slaves to what comes naturally. We're not. God makes us into supernatural men and women of God who glorify him with our bodies. And, and we glorify God either in heterosexual marriage, which we'll talk about in a second, or in singleness. We can do it in both ways. We're going to talk about that. Um, let's, let's go on to another question before we do that. Number three, can I be in a gay relationship and still be a Christian? <clears throat> Scripture is really, really clear that no one who desires to follow Christ, if you desire to follow Christ, should practice any form of sex outside of marriage. We, we firmly believe that at Generations Church. That's just where we fall. That sex was a beautiful thing, and it was designed for marriage. And so we don't believe if you desire to follow Jesus, you want to please him, you want to you know, seek after Christ, no sex outside of marriage, whether you're heterosexual or homosexual. So the Bible is super clear. So can you be in a practicing gay relationship and be a follower of Christ? Uh, I would say no, because they just don't mix. Now, as Christ followers, you know, we have to let God be God. And, I, and we come against this all the time. I don't get to tell God where I think he might have messed up, right? Where God made a mistake, where he might be a little old-fashioned. I don't get to tell God that, right? I've, I've tried that, and he laughs at me, <laughs> right? So we have to let God be God. There are several scriptures, we'll look at them here, Old and New Testament, in which God is really clear about this subject of homosexual behavior. And I understand there's a lot of hoops that very well-meaning, uh, sincere nice, beautiful people try to jump through to get around these passages, but we're going to try to deal with these so you'll know where we're coming from, okay? Uh, the first is in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Leviticus. There's a couple of, a couple of places here, and this is kind of the famous. It's, it's the famous prohibition in the King James Bible. It's, it, it has men lying with men and women lying with women and this sort of thing. This is really a, this, it's a Hebrew euphemism for sex, um, lying with somebody. Um, so, so it's pretty clear in Leviticus that that's easy. But see, here's the thing. This alone would make things, it's, it's kind of foggy because this is really difficult for Christians to point to as definitive. Well, see, Leviticus says it um, because there's a lot of Levitical laws that we no longer look to as our standard of behavior, right? If you go and read some of them, it's some interesting stuff in there. Leviticus tells us to like stone our kids if they misbehave and not like in the groovy way, right? <laughs> And so we don't do that. The, the bad stoning, right. Um, it tells us we can't wear clothing made of two different woven fibers, right? So your cotton poly blend in the trash. Um, or eat bacon. Uh, yeah. Or get a tattoo. Or eat bacon. Um, lots of things. 
But there, there's things, and, and speak, uh, next, next week when we're doing our FAQ, we're going to do a whole bunch of questions, by the way, because we've got a whole bunch of questions that I think we can answer kind of like in four or five minutes. So we're going to do a big scatter shot, and the tattoo one is on there too. Um, so, so yeah, so Leviticus has all these laws. It says that you can't even touch a dead pig, which means you can't play football unless you're wearing gloves, right? Uh, so that would be sad. So there are a lot of really interesting, very intricate, fascinating Levitical laws that we don't necessarily pull into our new covenant faith. And so the homosexual community uh, who care about following Jesus will often say, well, why should we follow this one law and, uh, when there's all these other ones that we ignore today? Which, it's a valid argument. They raise an interesting issue, being that you cannot simply uh, build your new covenant ethics with old covenant scriptures. Uh, you'll get in trouble every time if you try to do that. It doesn't mean they're necessarily obsolete, but what we have to do as wise disciples in these cases, and this will just help you across the board for other issues too. Number one, when you're dealing with something like this, old covenant ethics, you're trying to pull it into your new covenant lifestyle. Uh, number one, you want to look for if there is uh, anything said in the New Testament. Uh, and number two, is there an enduring, timeless principle behind the law that is timeless? So uh, that's one Another, another subject a lot of people uh, look to for answers is the story of Sodom. I won't go all into it, but most people know the story of Sodom. And both sides of the debate have kind of gone to an extreme here. One says that, well, their sin was homosexuality. That's why God destroyed it. God said, that's just the worst sin I've ever heard of, and he destroyed it. But Ezekiel, if you go over there, Ezekiel mentions that there were other sins in play there too, a kind of hostility and an arrogance in the town that God, that really offended God. Um, and so the other side will say, well, see, it was just arrogance, um, not homosexuality. But then if you go to the book of Jude, it says, no, homosexuality was part of the problem there too. Uh, so that gets a little foggy. Anyway, so we go to the New Testament. Let's look at the New Testament. The New Testament has some very interesting places. In Romans 1, uh, we won't go read the whole scripture because we don't have time. Maybe we'll dig deeper in our deeper class on Wednesday night. But if you look at uh, Romans 1, 18, uh, read all the way to chapter 2, verse 1. It's one of the most detailed passages on the subject. And we'll dissect it later in our other class. But basically, Paul here goes into a really thorough examination of how sinful we all are. And it doesn't say that homosexual practice is the ultimate sins of sins, but it is given as an example in a, in a long list of sins of how far we have fallen for God's best for us. And so it's pretty difficult. Now, when you read this, it's pretty difficult to somehow explain away or say, well, Paul didn't really mean that, or maybe it's a cultural thing. Romans 1 is just really hard to, to do that. It's just one of those you can't get around. Two other places also, Paul lists sins that are, again, examples of the kind of things that God stands opposed to. In 1 Corinthians, uh, and also in 1 Timothy 1, verse 10, you can look at that. Uh, but they both deal with this subject. And they talk about, uh, it's kind of interesting the way they do it. They talk about male prostitutes and homosexual offenders. And a lot of people have a lot of discussion, what's going on there? What's the difference between the prostitute and the offender? These are words that refer to those who play a stereotypical masculine role versus the feminine role in the sex act. I'll let you figure that one out, what I'm saying yourself. If you need help later, I'll draw you a diagram after church. But... <laughs> That's the, it's the words, it was the kind of the euphemisms used in the first century. That's what they were referring to. So, now, because the Bible is pretty clear, it's pretty clear, very clear, about sex being something blessed by God only within the confines of marriage. Some Christians have reasonably asked, well, what about gay marriage? What about gay marriage? Which they say isn't actually mentioned in scripture, and it's true, the Bible is silent on gay marriage because it wasn't a concept that occurred to anyone back then, right? Because many people didn't self-identify as gay or straight. So the argument goes, well, what if a time came, a theoretical time in the future, uh, in a society where same-sex marriage was a reality? Exhibit A. Uh, we know, for instance, God's heart is for marriage. Uh, he loves covenant. Uh, people, you know, wanting to pledge fidelity and covenant and journeying together, that, that sort of reflects the heart of God, right? I mean, that sounds good. Paul even said at one time, it's better to marry than to burn. So why wouldn't gay marriage, the argument goes, why wouldn't a lifelong committed partnership be a good thing? Why wouldn't that be a step in the right direction? 
And this is the argument I hear most often from uh, my sincere Christian friends who want to affirm gay marriage uh, as a sort of meeting halfway with the gay community. And, and I have to say, I understand it. It's very compelling. But what I say in response is this, that marriage is what God defines it, not what culture defines it. Marriage is what God defines it to be. And so the facts are this, and hear me out here because i got a point. Homosexual marriage, from a biblical perspective, is an oxymoron. Homosexual marriage is an oxymoron from a biblical perspective, like, like reality television, right? Just doesn't. Or my very favorite, country music. I'm sorry. Sorry, Stephen. My buddy loves country music. <clears throat> it's an oxymoron, right? Um, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that homosexual marriage is an oxymoron to ridicule the feelings, the sincere feelings of love that same-sex couples may be feeling. But let me explain why I say that. And that is because marriage is, by definition, the union of, of different and sexually complementary people. Different and sexually complementary people who are designed differently to be complementary brought together to create something that neither of them could have created by themselves, right? And scripture reveals that God gave marriage to us and he created us differently. And he says, I'm going to create this very particular relationship that brings you together in a way that reflects me, that reflects my own love for you. Right? The Bible talks about God being married to Israel, his people. We are called in the Bible the bride of Christ. Right? So it's real clear. He's the husband, we're the bride. Right? And, and so there may be uh, homosexuals, and there are, who, who want to be together, who want to be in a committed, caring relationship. And we may call that many things. But basically, it's just not marriage by logical definition. Now, remember... We're talking about biblical perspective here. If somebody says, I don't really care what the Bible says, I don't care what Jesus says, then it's not our, our job to try to convert them to live a Christian lifestyle. That does them no good, right? We don't need to argue ethics with people who aren't Christ followers and don't want to be. So, so for me, if they're not a Christian, we, we can stop trying to make gay people act straighter, right? If you're not interested in following Jesus right now, I don't care what you do in your bedroom or who you marry, right? It doesn't affect me and my marriage to Melissa one single bit. I feel just as married to her, and it is strong, and it is beautiful, no matter what two people in Kansas do. I, I've never walked around and went, whoa, I feel less married all of a sudden. I, I think gay people just got married. It doesn't. That's not... My, my, that's not my issue. If you don't know Jesus, who you're having sex with is the least of your problems. So I'm not trying to, y'all stop having gay sex, right? That's the least of your problems. I want you to come to Jesus. And I'm telling, and so who I'm speaking to is the person who actually is concerned with following Jesus, right? The gay person who's, I want to, I want to follow Jesus. I want to pursue what's best for my life, what Jesus has for me. So, for me, a, a much more worthwhile pursuit is calling people to the reality of, of the truth of Jesus. Calling, leading people into that relationship with the one who can do a miracle in their souls. That's, to me, a worthwhile pursuit. And then, see, we can explore together. If, if they've made that commitment, I can explore with them together what G, how Jesus says for us to live, what he has for us. Amen? So, um, so is same-sex marriage a step in the right direction? And under, so understand, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the legal question, what the Supreme Court says or anything like that. That's a whole other thing. That's a whole other subject. And, and it might not even be for a sermon. It might be for a coffee together someday. We'll talk about that. I, I'm not getting on that. What I am saying is here in the church, personally, one-on-one, -on -one, is same-sex marriage a step in the right direction for you? I say no. No. And, and not if those two people are interested in following Christ. And I am convinced that following Christ makes your life better and makes you better at life. I really believe that. I really believe that. Uh, whether you are straight, gay, transgender, lesbian, bisexual, 
from Dallas. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Amen. He loves us all. And he can bring freedom in our life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here we go. I'm gonna, let's bring up two more common ob objections. We're doing really good here. I think I'm talking faster than I thought it would be. Here we go. Here's another one. But if we love each other, isn't that all that matters? Isn't that all that counts? Uh, my response to this would be the same if, if, if you were heterosexual young people just wanting to get it on. I would say this. First uh, John 5.2 says, This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. That's how we know that we are the children of God, by, or, or that we love the children of God. So this is saying, this is how we know we love others. If you really love this person, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Love is the choice to lead someone toward what is best for them. All right? That's so good. I'm going to put that on the screen. Love is the choice to lead someone toward what is best for them. And by the way, that goes for heterosexual people as well. This is for all of us, whether you're hetero, homo, 2% or skim. This is for all of us. Okay? If I say, I love you, therefore let's express that love in a way that God disapproves of. That ceases to be love. That is no longer real love. Once I act on that, my love goes, right? Uh, true love says, I want what's best for you. And if carried out, that love would never say, I love you so much. Let's partner in sin. Let's rebel against God, what he has best for our lives. That ain't love. You may be filled with, with lots of nice warm emotions that feel like love, but love isn't a feeling. Love is treasuring someone else above yourself. That is love. And true love, you know what? If that's you, true love would say, expressing this love in a way that displeases God is an oxymoron. And so I will withhold expressing it that way because I want what's best for you. And that is what the Bible holds up as true love. Love is not doing what makes you feel good. It is doing what is good in spite of how you feel. Love is not doing what makes you feel good. It is doing what is good in spite of how you feel. Hallelujah. That is a tweetable moment right there. Hallelujah. Another objection we hear is this. But I was born this way. I was born this way. This is like part of this whole huge pointless argument. The response, my response to this, this is one of the uh, big questions everyone seems to have in the whole world is this. Where does homosexuality come from? What's the cause? You know, are you born with it? Does something happen to you? Can you catch it? Is it spiritual? Is it environmental? Is it genetic? And, you know, and what all the, the modern research to date agrees on is that there is no one cause. Uh, there, there are contributing factors to it, some biological, some relational, uh, but there's no one big thing. I have to say this. We in the conservative church, we have to repent for the hours and hours that we have wasted fixating on this question, are you born this way or not? People say, well, people are born this way. And like people in the church are just like, no, you're not born that way. Who cares? As if that made any difference whatsoever to the life of a disciple. It doesn't matter. The truth is this. We were all born with a mixture of the glory of, of being in the image of God and as imperfect, broken, sinful creatures. We're all born with this mixture, the image of God in a broken form, right? If you're here today and you're a normal, healthy, heterosexual man, you were likely born with a predilection for promiscuity, right? There is something in your wiring that says you need to have sex with as many women as you possibly can, right? Most, most men are just kind of wired this way. And, and I, I am told by women that, that it's not just men who have sexual urges. Imagine. We used to say that in the church, right? Like, men, y'all are horrible animals. And women, you're all so sweet. I'm sorry. You know, you, don't, you never feel these feelings. And we finally got told by women, like, that's really offensive. <laughs> We, we feel things too. So, um, yeah, so everybody, e even secular uh, evolutionary biology tells us that, that we're all predisposed to, you know, propagating our genes as much as we possibly can. So 
that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the predilection we're born with. God doesn't give you a pass because you were born that way. He doesn't give me a pass because I was born this way. We don't get to say, well, that's just how I roll, so, you know, got to let nature take its course, right? No. No. On the other hand, on the other hand, you might have experienced something destructive or something traumatic in your youth, and that shaped your urges and your identity and your, your fears that you have today. Well, I would say to you that God is still God. God is still God, and he still offers hope and life and a path to joy and, yes, freedom, whether your issue is nature or nurture, environmental or genetic. The point is, if, if you're a young person today and you come of age and you find that you're struggling with same-sex attraction, it, it doesn't help you in the slightest a bunch of people standing over you arguing how you got that way. That, that's no help. The fact is, all of us come into life imperfect, broken, very often sexually dysfunctional in some way. That's most people. And, and that goes for most of us. And, and there's hope in only one thing, and that is Jesus and life in the kingdom of God. That is the, that is the answer. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I, I want to tell you about a little conversation Jesus had. It was really, really cool. In Matthew 19... Uh, he's having this discussion with some folks about, he's talking about marriage and divorce, which is a whole other interesting sermon. But his disciples, when Jesus gets to the end of it, his disciples go, well, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only to those whom it has been given. And then he has an interesting analogy. Verse 12, he says, for there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is telling his disciples and some others standing around. He says, marriage is hard. Not everybody's going to be able to go there. And some might even be called to something different. Now, the word eunuch here in the New Testament times, it can mean somebody who was physically castrated in the day. Uh, but so often in Jesus' day, it, it was a metaphor for someone who chooses a eunuch's lifestyle. What we would say, celibacy. Celibacy. And so it, it was a metaphor for that. And he says some people are born that way. Marriage is just, it's not going to be in their future. You know, that's not going to work. Um, and that's okay. See, if we come at things, if we come at this in the context of our culture and say, it is my right as a human being to live a sexually fulfilled lifestyle. If we come at that, if that's your starting place, the, the teachings of Jesus are going to bug you at every step of the way. Whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, right? Um, but if you start, if your starting point is saying, my calling as a Christian is to lay my life down and to die to my rights, Jesus, how can I love you better? How can I glorify you more? It changes everything. It changes your whole conversation. So when Jesus says some people are going to be born in such a way that they're going to be called to singleness for the rest of their life, that's not like a big wah, wah, singleness, right? We've often relegated singleness in the church to this sort of lower status of, oh, sorry, you can't be as whole and complete as us awesome married people. We, we, do, we do this sometimes in an unspoken way. Um, in reality, Paul and Christ both make very clear singleness is awesome and that it, for some people, they are made for it, that marriage is not how everybody is, is made. Marriage is not for everybody. Everyone's not made for the challenges of marriage. And if you can live without it, Paul says, go for it. <laughs> do it. Or don't do it. <laughs> right. And so, so we do a disservice to folks when we, when we uh, I think, insinuate that to be a complete human being, you know, to be a whole person in the kingdom of God, you got to get married. Uh, it's just not true. Jesus makes it very clear, and he's, he's pretty firm on when he's talking about the discussion of marriage and divorce, which is, the, which is really interesting there, and how much God loves marriage, he, how much he hates divorce. Um, he, Jesus makes it clear, do not get married if you can't cut it. Because uh, if you do, God designed it for life. And so Jesus and Paul both uphold singleness and celibacy as a valid expression 
of living for Jesus. So Jesus says, some of you were called to singleness and celibacy because you were born that way for some reason. Then he says, some people are made that way by others. Something traumatic has happened in your life. Something happened. It may be uh, some act that happened to you or whatever, but, but you are called to singleness. And then some people, he says, you are completely eligible for marriage. And you're still going to say, I could play the marriage card, but I'm going to choose to live the single celibate life for the cause of Christ. And this is a vision that, that Jesus holds up as a valid, wonderful way to live, whether gay or straight. This singleness path, the path of celibacy, is one that is championed by Jesus Christ in Scripture. But please, whatever you do, don't. Let me say this. Whatever your sin is, whatever your issue is, don't fall into the cheap, lame excuse, but I was born this way, right? All respect to Lady Gaga, (laughs) right? Don't fall into that. But uh, we can say it this way, biology does not equal your destiny. Biology does not equal destiny. And we don't want to, you definitely don't want to get into this idea that biology equals destiny. That has fueled all sorts of horrible things on the planet right? Fascism, racism, slavery, biology equals destiny. That's, that's, that is not true. That is evil. It's antichrist. The Christian soul rises above biology to, to, for something far better. Christians are not called to be victims of our past. We're called to be products of our future. Amen? Amen. Products of our future. To say, who is God creating me to be? For all of us, gay, straight, everywhere in between, all of us who are broken in a variety of ways, we need to reject the victimization mentality, to reject that. We're not products of our past, we're products of our future. And and you know what, I don't want to pour over my past, I don't want to pour over who I was anymore. It's depressing and it's fruitless, right? Whether, Whether it's how I was born or whether it's something that happened to me or because I chose wrongly at some point, it's fruitless. It doesn't matter. It's done. It's in the past. The only thing from the past I care about is the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives me freedom today. That is the only thing from the past that, I, that matters today. Now, we're, we're, we're bringing this thing to a close here pretty soon. Let me say something uh, just to kind of the, the Christians in the room. All right, the Christians. So if you're if you're seeking the Lord or you're not sure about Jesus, just kind of plug your ears up for a second. I have to talk to the Christians. I want to I I challenge us to something today, okay? And I suggest, it's two things. Number one, I suggest that we stop demanding Christian ethics from people who don't claim to be Christians. Stop demanding Christian ethics from people who don't claim to be Christians. Stop demanding biblical morality from people who don't claim to follow the Bible. It does them no good. It only serves to make you feel more comfortable. Right? It's that attitude, well, I just don't want to see it. Right? That does them no good. It makes you feel more comfortable. They're still going to die and go to hell. So, so don't, let, let's not do that. that it, it's not our mission to get our culture to act more Christian. We have enough to keep us busy if we can get Christians to act more Christian. Right? Amen? If we could get there, we could start working on some planks in the other people's eyes, right? The splinters. Oh, man. Secondly, here's another thing. Uh, I would challenge us, all of us as, as Christ followers, let's pour at least as much energy into the we love you message as we have into the we don't approve message. We got that one down. Can I just say... Everybody knows you don't approve. We've poured a lot of energy into that. Let's pour at least as much, maybe even more, into the we love you message, right? I think that they've heard the second one loud and clear. What they haven't seemed to have heard very clearly, the world, is that we actually believe that Jesus loves them and that he calls us to love them and he calls us to share the gospel, the good news with them. And I think if you ask the man on the street, the person on the street that's outside the church, if you ask them, what is the biggest concern of church people? They would probably tell you, protecting their way of life. And that should not be our biggest concern, right? That may be a noble pursuit. I don't know, protecting our way of life, but Christ didn't really call us to that. He didn't. He kind of called us to go and, like, 
turn the other cheek and carry our cross and all that sort of hard stuff. Jesus said this in Romans. He said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 16, he said, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And verse 21, boom. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're, we're not on this earth to defend our wall. We're, we're to go out to offer ourselves as living sacrifices of love. We're to be Jesus in the flesh, right? And Jesus never picked up the sword and said, stay back, right? No. He said, here I am. God loves you. I love you. So let's be sure we're using our loudest voice to offer a message of love and life to the world through the gospel. Let's let that be our loudest voice. There might be some other, you know, noble things we, we can do. But let's let love be our loudest voice. Amen? Okay, everybody can unplug your ears. I can talk to everybody again. I want to finish with this very last point, and then we'll be done. One big question. This is a big question that I'm often asked by folks, especially those who desire to follow Christ, but they struggle with same-sex attraction, and that is this. Is real transformation possible? And I would say yes. Yes, it's possible. Does it happen every single time? I don't know. But I know it's possible. Uh, there are many testimonies of folks who have broken free from the same-sex lifestyle, and, and some have been able to enjoy uh, joyful, uh, sexual, healthy relationships within marriage to the opposite sex. Now, some who started following Christ have reported that those, the, those attractions are still a battle that they have to be diligent about, right? It's still a battle. And still some, many, have still not experienced that emotional, psychological transformation. And so for those folks, they, they have taken up the call of celibacy for Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a writer I love so much, uh, Henry Nouwen. He is one of the most, he, he is some of the most beautiful, moving writings by this theologian, Henry Nouwen. He has a book of, of prayers that I refer to a lot. Um, and he came out later in his life, and he admitted that he was gay, that he struggled with same-sex attraction all of his life. And he admitted that he prayed many times to be delivered from that. And, and like Paul with that thorn in the flesh, it never was. It never went away. But he never once, never did act on those temptations. That's important. He never once did. But for other people, there is transformation. There has been transformation on the sexual level. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Philippians. Paul says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind forgetting it, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. This is the same man who never got his thorn in the flesh taken away either, whatever that was. But he, he said, you know what? I'm not a product of yesterday. I'm a product of my future, right? One of the most beautiful aspects of the Christian life is that we believe we no longer have to see ourselves as products of our past, you don't have to see yourself that way. We no longer look at the things that have led up to the, the way things are today. We no longer have to say, here's the things in my past and they've doomed me to be the person I will be tomorrow. You're not a slave of your past. As Christians, we get to, we get to completely radically change our direction and say, this is who God chooses me to be in light of my future. And this is my new identity. This is my identity. God defines me. It is not culture that defines me. It is not biology. It is not my circumstances. It is God who defines me. And I choose to say this is who I am, who God says I am. Now, that's a radical thing to say. 
that I am no longer just a product of my past. I am a new creation because of who Jesus is calling me to be. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There's a whole lot of us in that thing. Verse 11, here's the good news. And that is what some of you were. That's the most beautiful word. Were. Past tense. That is what you were. Hallelujah. Remember, he's talking about practice, not orientation. Maybe their orientation has changed. Maybe it hasn't changed yet. But he can say that is what you were because you no longer have to identify yourself according to your temptation. I don't have to identify myself according to my temptations. I am who Jesus says I am in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. We identify ourselves because of the Lord, what he has done for us. He says, because, why? Because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Hallelujah. 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 Paul goes on to say, maybe one of the most beautiful scriptures I have ever read. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Hallelujah. The old has gone. The new is here. Hallelujah. Praise God. That is a message of hope for every single one of us. Every single one of us. I don't care if you walked through these doors this morning and you were a, whether you were a flaming homosexual or you were a redneck bigot, there is hope for you. There is hope for you. The new, the, the new has come, right? The old is past. You don't got to be that anymore. Amen? In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Or for the rest of us who are somewhere in between there, we can say, you know what? We've been called to a new challenge too. No longer is it enough just for us to be silent. No longer is it enough for us to just be not hateful. We got to take a new step and actually be loving. Now we got to show love. We got to reach out and be disciples who make disciples. Because there are people who are walking alone. And the, they, they, they might be surrounded by a big community, but the one they need is Jesus. And you might be the only face of Jesus that they ever see. Don't let them walk by you. Don't be weirded out. We all need Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Let me pray for you as our prayer partners come forward. Hallelujah. Father God. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we come to you broken in so many ways. And, and then we have the audacity to feel prideful over people who are broken in different ways. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your forgiveness. We thank you that you are the God of healing, Lord God. You will give us hope, Father God. We thank you that you are God of forgiveness. You are the God of love, Lord God. We thank you that, yes, you are the God of freedom. Hallelujah. And we thank you that it is all because of grace. 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 Grace and peace is what we need to hear from you, Lord. It's what we need to speak to each other. It's what we need to speak to the world. Grace and peace. We thank you, Father God, for your goodness. I thank you, Lord God, for your healing in the house today. Your healing that is moving through this room right now, Lord God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In Jesus' name, I speak against the spirits of perversion in Jesus' name. I speak against the spirit of suicide in Jesus' name that would try to attach itself to young people, Father God, because they feel a little strange inside and they don't know why. I thank you, Father God. We rebuke that spirit of suicide in Jesus' name. You have no place here. We rebuke the spirit of perversion, both sexual perversion and religious perversion in Jesus' name. Get out. You don't have a place here. Not here. Not a generation's church. Thank you, Father God, for making us the people where, where no one walks alone. Thank you, God, for making us more Jesus-y. That's where we want to be more. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. We say no to what was and yes to what you were forming us into. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, guys. Y'all are wonderful. And uh, y'all have been 
so patient. I know we've kept you a little bit longer today. Um, if you have anything in the world that you need someone to stand with you and pray with you about, you just need to get something off your chest and ask, you, you say, I, I need God's help on this. Come forward, pray with these precious people. These are our prayer warriors up here. They uh, love you. They will pray in faith with you, and it's not the same when we pray. Hallelujah. So come up and make use of that. Otherwise, you guys have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Be blessed. Hallelujah.